Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sunup. The Daily Sunup podcast is a conversation with the Colorado Sun. See our trust indicators at coloradosun.com slash ethics. It's Tuesday, January 9th. Today, Sun reporter Tracy Ross goes a little deeper on her Sunday story about how recreation and rural living are colliding in Steamboat Springs. Before we begin, join ACG Denver's Rocky Mountain Corporate Growth Conference on February 12th to 13th as the middle market business community comes together to discuss trending issues and the latest investment strategies. Make new connections and partner with experts at the Hyatt Regency Denver for two days of networking and learning opportunities that will help you prepare for 2024 and beyond. Register at acg.org events. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1974, Governor John Vanderhoof of Colorado received a unique gift from astronaut Jack Lausma, a plaque with a Colorado flag and moon rock fragments from the Apollo 17 mission. This gift was part of a widespread distribution to states and countries symbolizing the lunar mission's global impact. Vanderhoof, a World War II pilot and prominent state politician, briefly served as Colorado's governor in 1973 and 1974. After leaving office, he kept the plaque, which unexpectedly lacked interest from museums. In 2010, a college student's inquiry revealed the plaque's location on Vanderhoof's home office wall. The former governor had even let his grandson use it for school show-and-tell. Eventually, he donated it to the Colorado School of Mines Geology Museum, where it was featured in an exhibit celebrating Colorado's aerospace legacy inaugurated by Governor Bill Ritter. Before we continue, the Colorado Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing, HCPF, is raising awareness of the invaluable roles of direct care workers and the direct care workforce in Colorado. Direct care workers play a crucial role in enhancing the lives of individuals requiring assistance due to disability, age, or illness. Learn more about the impact of these workers and how to become one by visiting hcpf.colorado.gov direct-care-spotlight. Next, our feature story. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'm David Krauss, one of the editors here at The Sun, and I'm happy to be joined for Tuesday's Sun Up podcast by reporter Tracy Ross. Tracy is our rural reporter. Tracy, how's your day going? Oh, very good. It's snowing here in Netherlands, so that makes me happy. I'm going to get out and ski hopefully for an hour or so later. Hey, so you had a story uh, in our Colorado Sunday this week. I don't know if you could say it hit a nerf, but golly, we're getting some really interesting response, seeing a lot of big readership. So thought I'd grab you and get you on the podcast for today. Um, Tracy, you wrote about kind of that intersection of recreation and uh, rural life in Colorado, um, uh, specifically the gravel bike racing um, events that over the past five years in Steamboat have gotten huge 3,000 riders. We're seeing gravel riding um, becoming a bigger uh, event across the state. Tracy, let's start with how did you kind of find this story and talk to the listeners about how you kind of went about your reporting on it over the past few months? Yeah, well, this is this is a fun story to talk about because I feel like it um, I, I got it as I have started to kind of settle into my role as the rural economic development reporter. Um, Because instead of sort of waiting for a story to come to me, 
which I was doing for a while, um, I decided to actively go looking for one. And I just started poking around in newspapers in rural towns and went to Steamboat. And I think I've, I've looked at the Steamboat Radio website and it just immediately popped up that there was this meeting going on between the county commissioners and about 70 apparently angry ranchers um, who had been impacted by this race that had unfolded in August and the meeting was in October. And so my ears immediately perked up and I reached out to one of the county commissioners, Tim Corrigan, just called him blindly, cold call, and he called me right back and he was ready to dig in and start talking about this thing because it was such a big issue. So Tracy, walk the readers through um, the story um, as it stands. You know, um, you spent a couple of months talking to people, kind of looking at the overall uh, economic impact. Um, what kind of feedback have you been getting uh, from the story in the past day or so, uh, you know, we're nearing, gosh, at least 100,000 page views. And for us at The Sun, that's a great number. Um, and it just shows great reader engagement. Um, what are you hearing from people so far? It's really interesting because, well, first of all, this story is proof that you can never guess what is going to land, really. I mean, I feel like you put a big number in the title of a story, 4.5 million in this case, this is sort of how much this this bike race is worth to, um, you know, Steamboat and Route County. And that's kind of how much money the race generated in lodging and, you know, food sales and different things for uh, Steamboat Springs in the county in 2023, even though, interestingly, the city of Steamboat or the town of Steamboat Springs got a big chunk of the sales tax revenue from that money and Route County only got 1% of that. And so that that was a huge issue, but I'm kind of kind of jumping ahead. But anyway, um, the the feedback I was expecting, honestly, to wake up to 55 angry emails um, half from one side, so half from the ranching side and half from the cycling side. And shockingly, I have not had one angry email. Most of the emails, and I've gotten more emails on this story than I probably have on anyone I've done, maybe except for river permits. Um, people are, they're just, they feel in general that it was um, an unbiased reporting, which I'm pretty proud of. And they can kind of see both sides, but I would say like the majority of people are kind of feeling for the ranchers because the ranchers live in, you know, they live in Rowe County and they they have their lives and their lives are pretty intense because they're dealing with livestock and they're dealing with ranching itself, which is challenging and putting up hay. And this race, SBT Gravel, takes place the week of the county fair and also the week when a lot of these ranchers are putting up hay. And it's stressful because they're dealing with weather, they're dealing with equipment failure, they're dealing with all these things. It's so nature and time, you know, dependent. And then to have 
literally thousands of cyclists coming down their roads, these county roads where they probably don't see that many people, um, you know, all in a kind of crush at the same time that they're trying to move around to do these incredibly important things like the highlight of their year. It's it's so stressful for them. And they feel like because of the, you know, the revenue piece of it, they're not getting anything in return. And I feel like that's, you know, the reader feels that and feels for them because it's pretty obvious. I think that granted for just a cute couple of days or even you could argue a day, um, it, it's a real big inconvenience in their life. But at the same time, it's a lot of it is about the timing. And some of the readers that I've gotten letters from have brought that up. Like, why, why didn't you address that piece in the story? Or why can't they just do the race at a different time? And like with every story, there's always something that I, that I look over a little bit. And now when they bring that up, I'm like, dang, I should have gone into that more because I don't really know why. I didn't really ask why they can't just change the dates of the race. Well, that's the beauty of uh, having stories like these that a lot of people are interested in is we get feedback, we get um, different perspectives, but then it gives us um, conversation to have different stories and keep following the story as it develops and plays out. Um, Tracy, you and I have, have both have been in the outdoors, um, you know, uh, fun times a lot. We both uh, get up on the mountain, uh, bike, hike, camp. Um, I've seen a lot of biking changes through the decades as you have. Um, gravel racing certainly is something that sure has exploded. Um, I saw it this year. I volunteered at the Salida 76 um, and did check-in registration in the morning for the two races. They had a 76-miler and a 76K, uh, but it was interesting to hear the organizers talk about how the race has doubled in size. I think we had almost 700 people here uh, combined for the two races. Why do you think gravel, what makes it so intriguing, uh, Tracy? What what do you see with gravel races going forward? I think it's a combination of things, and some of them, I mean, some of it's equipment, some of it is the culture, and I think some of it is access, and I think some is a response to how dangerous road biking has gotten. Um, I know gravel bikes have a more forgiving geometry, and so, you know, they're not as kind of brittle or rigid as a road bike. So they're more comfortable to ride, a little bit softer tires, knobby tires, and so you can go, you know, there's tons and tons and tons of gravel roads all over the place. And it's not as intimidating or as intense as mountain biking, but you're accessing these like beautiful pastoral bucolic places and you can go far. Like this race, the longest uh, loop or distance of the SVT gravel race was 144 miles in a day. And I had to, I actually had a panic moment, <laughs> like probably at three in the morning on a Sunday morning when I went, wait, is that possible? What if it was kilometers? Do I need to go get up and check? And no, it's miles. But um, 
yeah, there's just something about that community that likes to go long. And it's it's fun. It's so fun. It's like there's not if you're just out on a pleasure ride, there's not like the intensity and the and the the many possibilities to get crunched by a car or flip off your bike while you're mountain biking and break your collarbone. It just feels and seems like a gentler sport. And then the inclusivity piece is massive, which is one of the very cool things about SBT Gravel is that Amy Charity, the founder and owner, she really, really puts an emphasis on inclusivity. And I found that from talking to lots of different people that, you know, ride for racial justice, all bodies on bikes. They love that race because it's, I, you know, I read some things like you show up and it's not just a bunch of white dudes in spandex. It's like people of color, all colors, all different sizes, all different ages. And I think that's why it's so popular. But I have heard from people that they just think it's too big. Like some people don't want to go to an event with 3000 people. And I think it's, you know, one of the sources in the story, Ron, uh, Juan de la Roca, he he writes guides, gravel guides. And he was saying that we kind of need to be careful because we might just saturate the market with too much gravel biking. And then people are just going to kind of throw their hands up in the air and move on to the next thing. So it's interesting. It's an interesting time for it right now. You know, what I thought was interesting, too, with the gravel bikes is you're seeing e-bikes involved in some of that as well. And I think that's where you can get some of these bigger distances. People can knock them out faster. And it is that convergence, like you said, of all these different pieces of the bike industry coming together. Tracy, do you see as you're reporting out um, and we talk more about, you know, how these recreational activities and events really bring money into different communities at different times of year? Are you seeing a lot of these intersections of rural and recreation or seeing more of them, especially post-pandemic? Do you think we're going to see more things like this um, coming up in the future? I can't see how we won't, right? Because more people, more people on bikes. Um, we have a limited resource in terms of square miles of Colorado and roads. And so I just think as the sport grows, we're going to have to fan out more and more and more. And these roads are, are in rural areas. They're dirt roads. And I actually, you know, there's a dirt, very, very popular dirt road where I live. And I have experienced sort of the same thing, but on a more regular basis where we just get big crowds of runners and big crowds of riders. And, you know, it's it's because sometimes gets to the point in the summer where my neighbors, you just don't go anywhere on a Sunday because you know that it's going to be a lot of people on the road, which is fine. But um, I do think that some help needs to be given to these communities who are experiencing this big influx of people. And actually, I found out from the Office of Economic Development and International Trade just today that there is a program to help these communities. And I'm actually going to do a follow-up story about that here really soon. All right, Tracy, let's bring it back to Steamboat then and finish it on this. Let's spin it forward like we like to do. What's going on? You talked in the story about some meetings coming up. 
what do you see happening in the next month or two as they try to get this thing permitted and, and, you know, kind of lower the temperature a little bit? Yeah. So that was a big part of the story, which I was actually kind of surprised about. Um, Based on all of this feedback from the ranchers, the county commissioners have decided to re-examine their regulations on um, large special event permitting. It used to kind of be based on this binary sort of like more than a thousand people, less than a thousand people. And now they're starting to look at it more as a land use permitting issue. So they are going to have a meeting on January 22nd and they're going to be entertaining public comment and they're going to talk about, you know, what new regulations need to be put in place, kind of looking back at the Route County Master Plan and seeing how they can fit together an event as big as SBT Gravel with sort of the heritage and the ranching element of Route County. And it's up in the air what's going to happen. So I'll be writing about that as soon as that happens, too. Hey, Tracy, uh, thanks for taking the time today to uh, pop on the podcast. Really appreciate it and really appreciate you getting into this story and then also already starting to plan some follow stories and and seeing the uh, seeing the final decision through. Uh, if you haven't read Tracy's story yet, you can go check it out at coloradosun.com. Also, you can sign up for our Colorado Sunday newsletter, which is where this story premiered at uh, coloradosun.com slash Sunday. I uh, want to also remind everyone we are now new to the Trust Project. We want to earn your trust in our members of the Trust Project. So you can check out our ethics policy at coloradosun.com slash ethics. Tracy Ross, great work and have an even better week. Thank you so much. You too. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. A federal judge Monday dismissed a lawsuit brought by former Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters that sought to bar authorities from prosecuting her on charges related to a 2021 security breach of her county's election system. Peters faces trial February 7th on 10 counts. She sued in November, claiming she was the victim of retaliation by U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, and Mesa County District Attorney Daniel Rubenstein. U.S. District Judge Nina Wang granted Rubenstein's motion to dismiss the lawsuit, ruling Peters provided no evidence of retaliation. Wang also dismissed Peters' request to halt her upcoming trial. Colorado House Speaker Julie McCluskey on Monday sent a letter of reprimand to State Representative Elizabeth Epps of Denver for interrupting the chamber during the final day of the special legislative session in November. McCluskey of Dillon told her fellow Democrat she violated six House rules when she left the House floor and joined pro-Palestinian protesters in the chamber's gallery and then shouted during a speech by Republican Representative Ron Weinberg, who was Jewish. Weinberg was addressing Epps' criticism of Israel's response to the October 7th attacks by Hamas. McCluskey told Epps she disrupted House business and caused extensive delays to House proceedings. People opposed to a Semex cement plant north of Boulder are asking the state to impose sharp restrictions on the plant's operations. Critics of the plant packed a state air pollution permit renewal hearing Friday evening and complained the state was slow to enforce limits on the plant's greenhouse gas emissions. An advocacy group called Good Neighbors of Lions said Semex has been flying under the radar for decades despite numerous violations of air pollution rules. The group was among those trying to persuade Boulder County officials to deny a permit renewal for Semex's materials mining operation across Colorado 66 from the cement plant in late 2022. 
For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And the Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow.